Welcome back, Rankcast episode six, Derby Day special, um, and also we're going to be looking at um, the Besiktas and Tottenham games. It's been a really busy week. Certainly has very exciting stuff. Yeah. So yeah, um, I, I thought we'd uh, review the week's games. Um, obviously, it seems ages ago now. It's been such a, a busy few days, but um, United away at Tottenham last weekend, fabulous. Wasn't it good? Great stuff, great stuff. Yeah, it was um, really controlled and professional performance, I thought. Um, well, easily United's best of the season, just kept the ball and, and frustrated Tottenham. It's that old thing that we, we used to have um, in the old days. They scored against us, which is always a mistake because it just makes us angry. You know, it's um, like, apart from the first one minute of the game, we never looked like we were going to lose. You know, it was... It was a brilliant performance from United, and and then when Skulls went off, it almost got even better. You know, I mean, I think probably the last half an hour of the second half against Wigan, and um, maybe the last ten minutes against Besiktas, um, but the whole game against Tottenham, we actually looked like a a really good side. Yeah, it was very controlled. Uh, obviously, kept a lot of the ball, um, well over fifty percent in the first half, and and. Uh, you know, better possession even went down to ten men. I, I thought Ryan Giggs was excellent. You know, Rooney is rampaging best. Probably actually after after Skulls was sent off, um, he got even better. I, I guess he had to. And and Berbatov, um, one of his best games ever in a United shirt. Yeah, um, it's this thing of you know we said it at the beginning of the season. Berbatov has to be a world class number nine for this system to work. You know, um, and it is great when he does look like one. And he definitely did against Tottenham. Yeah, it was interesting. And he he was the man who who dropped deep um, and kind of you know played in that in that hole uh, between um, midfield and and defence. And I suppose you know, that's where Rooney plays for for England. He's been so effective. But you know either of them can do that these days. Yeah, I mean they're, they're, they're a very flexible duo, aren't they? I mean that, you know that there's so much talent in uh, in those two two players, you know, they just, and it's, Berbatov is an interesting one as well, because I, I do think he probably has some sort of issues with motivation, you know, that, that it's kind of easy to assume that given he's he's got that kind of languid presence on the pitch, and, and I think people do kind of mistake that for laziness or carelessness when, when it's just kind of the way he plays, you know, um, but I do think maybe he does bring it more on certain occasions, and certainly like the Tottenham fans didn't really do their team many favours by booing him every time he got the ball. No, that's right. I mean, he, I guess he's a, a player of fragile confidence and um, he just needs you know, that arm around the shoulder and needs to really feel like he's really wanted and he's up for it. And I guess this is one to, you know, it's pretty easy to motivate him for that, that game. The other player I thought was really good, of course, was Darren Fletcher again. Even though Manchester United's you know, most important midfielder, Darren Fletcher, you mean? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Manchester United's most important midfielder, TM. Um, he, of course, out of position on the right wing, and and uh, I, I think I, along with many fans, you know, kind of had, had the oh no, Fletcher's on the right wing again beforehand. But uh, he was great. Yeah, I could publish uh, the text message you sent me immediately before the game on United Rant, which says something along the lines of, and I hope you don't mind me calling you out, Fletcher on the right, will Ferguson never learn, or something along those lines. Yeah, well, it's true. Look, Fletcher has barely ever had a decent game on the right. He's just not a right wing. He doesn't have the pace for it. But in the centre of midfield, he's he's been excellent. First name on the team sheet. 
but there is there's a, a view I'm sure among some of Rogue's readership which is Ed criticising Alex Ferguson. Will he never learn? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, well, uh, hang on. I'm not the first person to uh, to uh, mention Fergie, Fergie's tinkering. So uh, this is this has been a trait for many many years. I mean, he was called Tinkerbell after all. Absolutely. Love to take credit for that, but uh, I didn't come up with it. Um, so um, yeah, United took that you know great performance away at Tottenham and um, took it to uh, to Turkey and you know the kind of incredible atmosphere there at the INU Stadium and you know what thirty odd thousand Turkish fans jumping up and down for three hours before the game, making one of the most incredible records you've ever heard. I mean, it's fantastic. You tweeted, didn't you? Um, that you know it'd be brilliant if United fans learned a thing or two from that. I think there there are the sort of downsides of with that kind of atmosphere often goes hand in hand the pointing of lasers at you know our defenders and stuff but it, it's amazing and it, it just you just watch that and, and for me it's a, there's a kind of envy to it it's like yeah this is what it could be like this is what the atmosphere could be like if there was a kind of shared commitment to to building that kind of atmosphere but you, you can't see the you can't see an atmosphere like that ever really coming back to Old Trafford. No, it's it's in the days of the Stratford End, of course. That was that was you know every Saturday and Wednesday night. So yeah, um, um, yeah, it's just just isn't the case anymore, uh, unfortunately. And we all sat down with our prawn sandwiches and glass of champagne before the game, apparently. Apparently so, yeah. Apart from Andy Cole, of course, he's uh, just an ordinary season ticket holder. Um, he claimed today, which is which is nice of him. Really, where does he sit? I don't know, actually. I haven't seen him, but um, I, I, he has a couple of ordinary seats. And, uh, he, uh, of course, his boys at um, the uh, City Academy. Um, long story there, I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, he's, he's still, uh, still a United fan. It's good to see that, isn't it? It's good like to it. see. Yeah, so I, I, guess, uh, I guess the thing that United really took from this game was kind of control. I mean, they played with Rooney up front on his own, as they did for the last half an hour against Spurs. Um, very, very controlled in possession in midfield, something like 60% possession. Again, just passed and passed and passed and passed. Didn't really create any chances until the last 20 minutes or so. But by then, I think um, I think Fergie was confident that they were beaten and the chance would come. And as soon as Owen came on and United put two up front and you know, Valencia and Nani really got hold of the ball and, and uh, started eating into that uh, Turkish defence. Yeah, I... Um... I think it was a piece on rant that I read, or it might have been we had a conversation about it, and um, it said sort of, oh, not not a brilliant performance from United. And unfortunately, real life uh, got in the way and meant that I actually only saw the last 20 minutes of the game. So I was a bit surprised here that it wasn't a brilliant performance because they looked absolutely amazing. Um, it, you know, it's quite hard to imagine, I guess, but if you separate yourself from having watched the first 70 minutes, United looked dynamic and full of danger in every attack. And, you know, I was thinking, wow, I can't believe this is nil-nil. But um, I thought Michael Owen played a really uh, valuable role, and uh, Valencia and Nani looked looked really good. And maybe maybe it was a kind of war of attrition that had uh, got the Shakers to the point where you could kind of hit them with that kind of attack. Um, and I think you know, much as I much as I love the score one more approach uh, as a as a kind of fan, just in terms of pure maths and you know smarts, playing kind of attritionally away in Turkey and getting going away with a draw or nicking a win is probably not a terrible approach, you know. And as I said uh, in the last rank cast, it, it didn't really matter too much if we lost that game, wouldn't have been the end of the world, but winning it is absolutely huge, and I still think that. I think that 
that's three points which could be... I mean, listen, we could walk all over Wolfsburg and CSK might pose us no challenge away on a plastic pitch, but I'm, I'm not sure that's going to be the case. So I think there might be three really valuable points. I, I tend to agree, actually. I think we have quite a tough start to the group. Obviously, Wolfsburg at home next, and their form is average in Germany. They were beaten at the weekend, but they won their last Champions League game quite easily. So... Um, I think that's going to be a pretty tough game. You know, I'm still confident United will win. And then away in Moscow, that's definitely going to be a tough one. It's an alien territory, very long flight. Obviously, the plastic pitch, as you said. Um, and they, I assume they've still got that there. Um, and, yeah, so, you know, pretty pretty tough opening three games. And we come out with that with seven or nine points, and, and we're, you know, we're home happy. So. Mm, absolutely, very much so. So, um Manchester Derby Day, uh, obviously a little bit more spice this year with City having spent so much money, something like £200 million in the last three windows. Um, it's, really, it's really exciting, actually. Yeah, I suppose it's good to have a, a challenge for once in, in the town. And um, uh, yeah, I, I guess uh, carry on like this and, and City will have a, a few more plastic fans of their own. So. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, the Arsenal fans will be singing, we'll beat you back to London to uh, Man City fans instead. All right. Um, so, uh, I guess the most interesting bit is uh, Carlos Tevez's return to Old Trafford. Uh, £25 yeah. million, pounds or, or 47 if you believe the Times article last week. But um, certainly been um, vocal uh, on, on leaving Old Trafford and very critical of, of Ferguson. Said they didn't offer him a contract, said that Ferguson showed him no respect. Um, you know, kind of contradicted by other statements he's made, of course. But um, but I'm sure. What you mean, like where he said? You mean other statements like where he said Ferguson showed me nothing but respect? Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we're, and 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 the other one where he said, uh, yeah, we're sitting down to talk about a contract now. I really want to stay, which is uh, interesting. Yeah. I mean, he's a strange chap, I think. There's no two ways about it, you know. I mean, he's also, he's had a very peculiar experience, I should say, in the last five years of kind of being owned by... It's a very strange thing whereby Manchester City have effectively bought him from a strange holding company, you know? It's weird. Anyway, there's a whole kind of human slavery aspect to it, you know what I mean? I mean, obviously, he makes a lot more money, but... He's a slightly. He must have had a peculiar time of it recently, but he does seem to be a bit of an odd fish. And having, you know, I, I, I guess it would have been better for all concerned if he if he hadn't uh, been in the in the team uh, from from Man City. When I because I, I think he does make them stronger. Um, they're better with him than without him. And I'm I'm not sure you could say the same for United. I think United maybe sort of slightly stronger without him. Yeah, we haven't missed him. I, I mean, it's, uh, Tevez is, is not important at all. Ferguson was quite dismissive about him this week, but with good reason. I, he wasn't worth the £25 million. Um, I guess, you know, the, the interesting thing is that he's gone to City for all of that money, and I guess in retrospect uh, he was going to be doing that for an awful long time. Interesting point about the, the, the third-party ownership, though, because um, it's kind of the epitome of the football transfer meat market, isn't it? And yeah. You talked about the slave trade. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's really not that far away. They're just uh, buying and selling these uh, players like they're assets. Um, and actually, Arsene Wenger had an interesting point this week because the Premier League has um, ratified its quota system. So for next season, your 25-man squad must have eight young players. And um, 
So, um, sorry, Wenger said that uh, because of that, he feels that younger players will be brought up at age 12 or 13 because they can't be transferred. Um, and they'll be brought up by agents or third parties. And uh, the transfer system will take place anyway. It's just they're going to be owned by agents from every younger age. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's just not right. And in the whole of human history, nothing that's ever involved those kinds of sums of money has uh, been run morally and purely and for the benefit of all the people who are interested in the greater good of the game and all that sort of thing. You know, it's 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 a horrible situation. And obviously the, there's a there's an incredibly significant distinction from the slave trade in that, you know, Carlos Tevez is a massive beneficiary of the system um, financially and professionally and all that kind of stuff, potentially. You know, right. Um, and, and look, I'm sure his, uh, his agents or MSI or whatever third parties are involved in it, it seems like it's quite a complex um, system. Um, I'm sure they were keen to make him move to the club with the, the biggest paying salary because um, they'll, they'll be getting their 15% or whatever it is. Um, and of course, uh, aside from Carlos Tevez, the, the, other, the other man returning to Old Trafford um, is, uh, is Mark Hughes, you know, still sporting his 1980s perm, a little bit greyer than it used to be. Um, and uh, you know, very much the manager these days uh, doesn't see when his player stamps all over the face of the opposition. <laughs> it's um, yeah. I mean, uh, do you remember the old uh, the old red issue uh, column of Sparky just decapitating opposition players with um, flying scissor kicks? This was this was a running theme in red issue for a long time. Um, and uh, he's obviously encouraging that sort of behaviour in his uh, in his in his playing stuff. I, I, it makes me very sad because I, I Mark Hughes was a childhood hero of mine and. Um, it was uh, in the cup final against Chelsea, uh, the the year when they unveiled Wembley. Um, uh, beforehand, you know, they had this 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 trail of ex-players, and most of them got booed by either the United fans or the Chelsea fans, except for Mark Hughes, who got a rapturous applause from both. But in the pre-match interview, he said that as a boy, he was a Chelsea fan, so he had a bit more affection for for them than United, and that kind of spoiled it a bit for me. And now he's become the city manager, and and he really is playing the part of the city manager, isn't he? He's, oh, he certainly know. is. Yeah, he's very much a spokesman for for the Abu Dhabi group. Um, and uh, yeah, he's loving the fact that he's got all this money, and uh, he's you know completely defending his players. Uh, none of them, of course, joined the club for money at all. Uh, it's all. <laughs> The project or, or whatever other nonsense they came up with, um, and uh, he yes he uh, defended Adebayo Adebayo uh, this week um, both both for the stamp on Van Persie's face, which is one of the most blatant stamps I've ever seen, um, and for the ridiculous celebration where he almost caused a riot. I mean that that celebration is uh, to me it's, it's it's almost worse than the stamp. The, the stamp we all think it was deliberate and and, and it probably was, but. You know, television pictures are deceptive in those situations from time to time, and you know, and that's uh, that's something which can be uh, not excused, but can be explained by a rush of blood to the head in a way that the the length of run that you have to do to celebrate the goal, the rush of blood to the head's gone at some point during that run. At some point during that run, you realise that this is what you're doing, you know, and and. That's such a dangerous thing to do. And 
the people that will suffer from it, and, you know, I hate to use this kind of financial argument, but the people that will suffer from it are not kind of multi-millionaire footballers. The people that will suffer are the stewards and the people in front of the incredibly angry Arsenal fans that are in a row in front of the people that want to kill him and, you know, whatever kids, you know, the whole kind of innocent bystander cliche. But but he's literally endangering lives like that now. You can say the crowd have a um, responsibility to behave rationally, um, but as a footballer, you must know that that's not how football fans are going to behave in those situations. Right. Uh, Adebayor said, uh, you know, the passion took over. He just, you know, he didn't know what he was doing in that moment. He wanted to go celebrate. Well, actually, what he wanted to do was goad the Arsenal fans who had been taunting him the whole game. Now, uh, I, I have some sympathy for him. Um, I, you know, there were some not very pleasant things said about Adebayor, uh, some chants which are, you know, pretty racist, actually, I've got to say that. Um, and, uh, you know, so he's pretty angry. He's wound up because he just scored a goal. It's a moment of emotion. Uh, he's thought, right, that's it. I've got my own back. I'm going to go and tell the Arsenal fans. The problem is that it's a moment of emotion. So they're emotional too. They've been winding themselves up. They're angry. This isn't a Daily Mail scandal. This is, you know, as you say, could have been really serious. If the Arsenal fans had been on the pitch, there would have been people um, hurt, possibly the player himself or others. Um, Stewart, one steward got knocked out. It could have been a lot worse. We could be talking about games being abandoned, uh, England's World Cup bids, you know, down the Swanee, uh, football's name in the toilet, and, and all of that. And... Uh, he really does need to learn a lesson, and, and they're fighting that charge, and I do hope that he gets a, a lengthy ban for that. I mean, Gary Neville got a two-match ban just for kissing his badge in front of the Liverpool fans. So, uh, and this was this was a scale above, and and the punishment ought to ought to match it. Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting point actually about about Gary Neville and, and kissing the badge directly, kind of at the Liverpool fans, and that was a microcosmic version of the same thing. You know, but Gary Neville was kind of standing roughly where they were, even though I think that's probably it probably comes broadly speaking in the same category of actually however you feel about it in that moment, you probably have a responsibility as a professional footballer not to try and anger the crowd, you know. That's right. Um and uh, of course, uh, yeah, Gary Neville, a uh, uh, United legend, uh, loves winding the Liverpool fans up. United legend in the making. Uh, I wrote about it, and so did a couple of other blogs this week. Uh, Patrice Evra. You've got some. Oh, my God, Patrice Evra. He's uh, he's he's a comedy genius in the making. Of course, that's his uh, chosen profession. Apparently, he wants to go yeah. it with uh, Park Ji Sung, whose English isn't great after four years in England. But uh, yeah, good luck to the both of them. Um, I said that uh, he also wants to become babysitter. Of course, he's uh, he's one of about fifteen kids, I think. Uh, um, Senegalese uh, by heritage, uh, although obviously grew up in France, um, and yeah, a lo- lot of kids in that family. Uh, some some brilliant stuff. Also said that the fans uh, boo Carlos Tevez, who uh, admittedly is a good friend of uh, uh, Paddy Evra's. Um, he's going to join in with the fans. Uh, <laughs> Carlos Tevez. Uh, let's hope. Let's hope that comes to comes to bear. Oh, wouldn't that be brilliant? <laughs> Just running around following him all game like, boo, boo, boo. That's right, yeah, <laughs> pantomime villain. Um, I mean, it, that's if Tevez makes it. He's obviously uh, struggling to be fit with his knee injury picked up in the Argentina-Brazil match uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those, it's 
one of those things where you wonder if he's like, mm, actually, I'm probably not in that much of a desperate hurry to uh, get back from my injury so I can just be assaulted verbally for 90 minutes. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, it's, it's interesting, though, because obviously a lot of the players have had something to say this week. Uh, you know, Ever, Ever's uh, brought, brought us a few laughs, but Nemanja Vidic has said that... Uh, yeah, City can only call themselves true rivals if they win the Premier League for the next 10 years in a row. Um, Ferguson has called them cocky and arrogant for that poster. Uh, yeah. uh, Rio Ferdinand has said, uh, actually, um, you know, who's our real rivals? It's Liverpool. We don't even think about City. Um, so the United camp pretty dismissive of City. And the City camp saying, well, you're scared of us now and you're afraid, which, you know, is obviously nonsense. And they're just trying to big themselves up. But... Definitely. Well, you, that has you been say, in the past. You, you say that it's nonsense when they're trying to big themselves up, but I actually am not entirely convinced. Okay, for a first, first off, I thought that Carlos Tevez poster was funny, right? So if if it had been the other way around and some equivalent thing had happened, I'd have had a jolly good chuckle about it. And, you know, yeah, it, the, 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 yes, it's cocky, but it's okay to be cocky. You kind of, I don't know, I want a healthy rival who's you know, got a bit of self-confidence and, you know, the cockiness is good in an opposition. But I, I do think, United are not scared of City, that's ridiculous, but I do think that so far this season, and it's incredibly early yet, obviously, but, but City have shown that they are going to make an impact, and certainly with the amount of money they're spending, they, they will, in the next couple of seasons, make a significant dent in the top four and, and shake up the the way that the Premiership's kind of old guard is established. And, yeah, it's, you know, their performance against Arsenal was a bit of a shot across the bow. I mean, it's only the Arsenal, right? And, and the right, and, and, and the, 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 the result wasn't a true reflection of the game, of course. But, yeah, absolutely, that's um, that City putting down a marker and saying, we are genuine threats for the top four this season. Yeah, but well, not that they're going to beat us at Old Trafford, obviously, you know. No, it's a one-off. Look, it's a one-off match. Um, they've beaten us you know, now and again over the last five years, haven't they? Uh, you know, if you, you look at the record over the, the full Premier League, they, they've I think they've won like three or four or something out of thirty odd games. So, um, over the long history of the United City fixture, or you know, at least in the modern era, United are completely dominant. Um, City are trying to change that, and they, they, you know, they've changed it in one aspect in that. You know, they can outspend United. Can they? Can they do it on the pitch? And there's there's not a hope uh, that they'll finish ahead of United this season. Uh, Stephen Ireland thinks they will, but he kind of has to say that. Um, United will finish in the top two, where City will will be absolutely delighted if they make the top four. And I think that's pretty doubtful. Arsenal, are, they, they might have gone to to um, Old Trafford and um, Eastlands and and lost, but I, I think yeah, they, they're the favourites for the top four as it stands. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, ironically, it gives me no particular pleasure to say this, but I think it's actually Liverpool who have the biggest chance of dropping out of the top four. Liverpool, who everybody kind of made title contenders before the season. I think if yeah, they, 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 they sold Jabby Alonso, and he was a real yeah. key player for them, and they, and they didn't bring any any anyone significant in. I don't think. And we'll, we'll see. Um, obviously, we'll, we've spoken about this before, but we'll see how Ekolani fits in and. And now they've signed this big new sponsorship deal with uh, Standard Chartered Bank, I believe. Um, they might have a bit more cash in the um, in the window, but their uh, their debt to income ratio is the highest of any club in Europe. So 
that's why they haven't been spending. They they um they've got to pay down that debt before they do any uh, any business in the transfer market. City, on the other hand, um, they're quite clear they're going to spend, spend, spend and, until they break in not only into the top four but become a significant force in Europe. Um, there's a slight irony in Liverpool taking sponsorship from a financial institution. I just think, you know, as if the Liverpool setup isn't on shaky enough grounds already, they've gone into the banking sector for uh, for their money. I don't think bank money's good anymore, Ed. <laughs> That's right. Well, I, I don't think Standard Charter have a, a have a whole load of uh, subprime uh, housing stock um, or, or toxic debt. Uh, they're, they're an investment bank, so I guess uh, that part of the banking sector has gone through the worst of it. But um, yeah, I mean it's, it's a it's a huge deal, and twenty million pounds a season matches United's deal. Uh, we'll see whether that yeah, gives them the kind of global profile. Uh, Standard Charter isn't a global um, financial institution, but um, still, yeah, good, good, good for them and. Uh, City, um, I suppose they care about sponsorship. There's kind of loose change down the back of their sofa, isn't it? <laughs> absolutely, it's absolutely yes. Um, I've got an important uh, question for you, Ed, and, and indeed a question for the listeners. If you could email us at cast at unitedrun.co.uk or put a comment on the uh, Rankcast post, what is Patrice Evra and Park Jason comedy double act going to be called? Because I'm thinking Paddy and Park's Laugharama. Yeah, I am. I'm not sure that they're going to go down that well at Jonglers, but we'll see. Um, uh, I guess. um, I guess. uh, Hopefully, that you know, Patrice Evra's wit will uh, stand him in good stead because he's definitely going to get some heckling if he's serious about it. Um, Paddy and Park united in comedy. (laughs) Nice. Um, It's a work in progress. It is a work in progress. Much, much like uh, City's uh, side, of course. (laughs) <laughs> beautiful, uh, beautiful. Four marks for that one, Ed. I know, I know. I, 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 uh, I'm worried that I'm becoming Loro here. <laughs> becoming, becoming. I don't think so. You've been Loro for a long time, Ed. Ouch, ouch. <laughs> of course, uh, Mark Lawrenson wrote that column in the Mirror last week. He, he took a hell of a lot of abuse on their website for it, in which he said, "This is the worst United team in years. They're racked in doubt, and Tottenham are favourites to win." So, um, yeah, Loro, uh, <laughs> Liverpool, Loro. Uh, still, you know, true to his Anfield days. Uh, alongside, um, of course, he does the predictions on BBC, and I think he, each week he predicts a, a tough game for United. And I think Liverpool are supposed to have won their last 675 games. Right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it is brilliant. The match of the day lineup. It's you know, Hanson and, and Lawrenson. I mean, you know, two more avid Liverpool fans you could not meet. And Alan Shearer, the man who hated Manchester United, he literally made a profession. Out of hating Manchester United, oh, you know? So that's okay. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, of course, after after the City game, uh, it's uh, Wolves in the cup in midweek. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I suppose after the, the big game, after the heights of the derby, it just uh, it just doesn't yeah, stop. And um, yeah, the Carling Cup side will be out. And uh, I would pre- presume it's mostly going to be the reserves and the people on the edge of the side. So people like I mean, Thomas Cusack will get a game and uh, Darren Gibson and Welbeck and Macheda and I guess the De Silva brothers, uh, Raphael's not quite fit yet, but uh, coming back soon. Uh, Wes Brown probably needs a game. I, I don't think he'll play um, um, against City. Um, and uh, Richie Delate and a, a few of the reserves who are, who are going quite well at the moment. 
I was going to say, it's actually a heck of a Carling Cup team this year, you know? Uh, I think, I think... well back up front. They were pretty good last season, remember? So, yeah, I think they'll do well. It's kind of a shame for Mikader and Welbeck because neither of them have had a chance in the first team this season. And um, they're, do, they're doing OK. I mean, they, um, they actually they did lose to Liverpool the other night. But apart from that, they've had a, a pretty good start to the season. And lots of games. And I think that helps some of the young boys. Because traditionally in reserve team football, you might not get a game for three weeks. Um, and they've had a you know, pretty packed fixture list at the start of the season. Right, which is which is fantastic because you know, as you said a couple of weeks ago, at some point Rooney, Berbatov, and Owen, two of them will be unavailable. You know, oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, interesting column. Uh, sorry to uh, not that I'm an avid reader of the Mirror, um, listeners, but uh, interesting column in the Mirror again yesterday saying that um, now Ronaldo has gone. United rely too much on Rooney. Oh please, come on. Um, <laughs> It, it's yeah. a more obvious piece of analysis and you know, boring, cliched analysis you, you couldn't hope to read. But then again, that is that, is that particular paper. I mean, the, the thing is, any team in the world would rely too much on Wayne Rooney. That's right. You know, they're, they're, they're such a fantastic team. Yeah? I mean, literally the only team in the world that wouldn't rely too much on Wayne Rooney is Real Madrid because of the you know ridiculous sort of abundance of that of attacking talent they've got. That's right, and um, and Ronaldo scored twice in the Champions League the other day. He's actually got off to quite a good start, a pretty average pre-season, and, and a lot of the commentators in Spain were, were saying, oh, he's not worth the money, and this is before he kicked the ball in anger. Um, but he's got five goals in four games or something like that, and uh, he's taken a lot of the plaudits, whereas Karim Benzema, of course, who United felt that they were going to sign and got pipped at the post at the last moment, um, has had a kind of quiet start to his Real Madrid career. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, I, I'm not sure that Benzema would have been the player that we need. Well, he's kind of that explosive player, isn't he? He's different to, to what we've got. I mean, happy to play up front, and, and Rooney would have played in the hole. I mean, I guess the uh, real beneficiary of of not uh, getting Benzema is not Michael Owen, although you know he got the chance at United because of that uh, missing out. Uh, but it's uh, Dimitar Berbatov. He, he'll get a long run in the side now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I having we're now we're now sort of starting to get properly into the season aren't we you know we've had a few results we've 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 seen a lot of different facets of the this united side and i'm no less optimistic than i was at the start of the season i i i think that i you know uh, the combination of the the talent at our disposal the the legacy that all those title wins build in, around the atmosphere of the cup and alex Ferguson's abundant experience means that i i i'm still making us favorites over the Chelsea. Predictions for this weekend, uh, City United? Um, I think they'll score, so I'm going to go... Uh, I'm going to do this Mark Lawrence in style. Well, I think Man United are going to win, um, and I think they're going to win 3-1. Good stuff. Um, I, I don't think City will score. I, I think Tevez isn't fit. They'll miss Adebayor, no Santa Cruz, so they'll be playing Bellamy up front on his own by the looks of it, with Wright Phillips and and um, one other in the, the sort of 4-3-3 three, three that they like to play. Um, I think United will win comfortably. It will be 2-0. Um, we're, we're playing pretty well, I think, gone through the gear. So, yeah, I'm going for 2-0. OK, well, I, I hope you're right, but um, I have a horrible feeling that Craig Bellamy's going to score. Let's hope not. One of the most odious men in football.
And talking of one of the most odious men in football, Peter Kenyon has resigned uh, his post as CEO at Chelsea, obviously uh, former Manchester United uh, managing director, uh, one of the most slimy men in football. Um, he'll still be a non-executive director at Chelsea, which is basically uh, Abramovich's way of uh, paying him off and making sure he, he's uh, still on the books and he'll sit on a couple of committees at UEFA and, and whatever, um, still pick up a bit of a salary and they'll, they'll keep him... Uh, quiet for a while until he takes up his next job. I was just going to say, really, surely that is just the, the non-executive director is just the don't write your autobiography yet clause, you know, because he must have some stories of behind the scenes at Chelsea in the last five years. I'm sure he does. There's an incredible politics goes on there. Obviously, this kind of power shift between Arneson and Buck, the chairman, and Abramovich and Kenyon, the CEO, um, and uh, yeah, Abramovich has all these advisors as well uh, that seem to come and go and help him pick the side or, or whatever he does uh, when he can be bothered to turn up at the ground. Yeah, and so I guess Kenyon's probably glad to be out there. Interestingly, he's gone now rather than in the summer, which would have been the most sensible time to go. Well, I, I think it's probably to do with the transfer ban. I mean, the, the, the fact is one of his main jobs apparently was as a kind of glorified chief scout and certainly in terms of negotiating deals with the top players in the world, um, they probably kept him on thinking that he would do that in the next transfer window and maybe go next summer. Um, but the, the transfer ban just basically leaves him without a job. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Although, of course, it's Arneson who is you know, firmly behind the recruiting of under-18 players. So uh, the kind of... Oh, yeah. I mean, Arneson's I mean, camp, but he doesn't seem yeah. to have been punished for it. No, which, which is really interesting and just goes to show, you know, or it must illuminate something about the relationships behind the scene at Ch- scenes at Chelsea and Armisen is just held in kind of higher esteem than Kenyon. And Kenyon has kind of done some high-profile mess-ups over the years, hasn't he, at Chelsea? Or... And at United, he screwed up the Ronaldinho deal um, and that's uh, one of the reasons most United fans were, were glad to see him go. And the, the guy taking over as CEO at Chelsea... Uh, former commercial director at Old Trafford, so the the line continues. Um, good, good to see that um, with their uh, feeder club. Yeah, lovely. <laughs> yeah, well, at least with their executive board feeder club rather than their team's feeder club. Yeah. Okay. And on that note, uh, good night, readers. <laughs>